This is Andre Sean Gallagher with the Sports Ethos Knicks podcast. We're going to be talking a little training camp basketball here. Um, Knicks Nation ablaze because Tom Thibodeau said that Evan Fournier has an inside track on being the starting shooting guard. I don't think it's that big of a deal. Uh, everybody's flipping out. Evan Fournier did not have as bad a season last year as people tend to think. Um, he wasn't great. He barely earned his money, I would say. I think he he came right to it. You know, he really only has three years guaranteed on his deal, two years left. Uh, the last year of his deal is a, is a team option um, after this year. And if he plays well this year, but after this year especially, I think he'd have a pretty decent uh, trade market if he shot the ball like he did last year. He shot the ball really well. Um, he, he really didn't have a defined role in the Knicks offense outside of just spacing the floor. Um, they had a few little cute little sets they used to do with him and Julius Randle with you know, dribble handoffs and you know him hiding behind the screen. Fournier is a versatile shooter. He can shoot the ball, obviously, on the catch and shoot. He can shoot on the move. He can pump fake with the ball on the ground and shoot it. It's one of the things that Reggie Bullock could not do when he was with the Knicks. As much as Bullock is valuable to a lot of teams in the league as a 3 and D player, excellent 3 and D player, something Evan Fournier is not. He wasn't as versatile a shooter. So I, I can see why the Knicks would want a guy, especially coming off the season that they did that year, which was the fourth seed. Um, they struggled to score. They struggled to shoot. Um, Fournier and, and Bullock was kind of taken out of the offense as a result. And some of that was the Knicks didn't have great shot creation. Um, so, you know, even when there was some paint, uh, a paint attack and the ball was kicked out, Bullock would get it. But in the playoffs, especially when everyone's locked in, they would chase him down. They would chase him down, chase him off the shot. And then he was, he had nothing else after that. And I think, um, that was a problem for the Knicks to have a floor spacer who could only hit spot up jumpers if the pass is perfect and the room is there. Whereas Fournier on the other side of it can catch and shoot, can pump fake with the ball on the floor, can hit the mid range. He's much more of a scoring shooter than just a spot up shooter. Um, but they paid, they paid him a lot of money to be that guy, probably a little bit too much money considering, not probably, but definitely considering he didn't answer all of their problems at the shooting guard position uh, because he wasn't a defensive player. And when the season started last year, he was attacked defensively and he wasn't up to the task. He got a little bit better as the season went on. He wasn't quite as, uh, as, as pick, he wasn't picked on quite as often throughout the game as the season progressed, especially in the fourth quarter. He was able to make a lot of good defensive plays because he's a tough minded guy. You know, he's a guy who plays for his country. You know, guys who play for their country on a high level, those guys are not afraid of your little boos and criticisms. They're above that. They understand it. They just need to be put in the right position uh, to be effective on the, on the court. And I don't think he was last year. I think the Knicks offense is very, is very basic. And um, some of the issues was personnel, but a lot of it was just in, in their strategy. And I think uh, Tom Thibodeau, he gives the Knicks a lot of freedom, a lot more freedom than people think he does. They think he, he's, you know, old school control every possession type of coach. And that's not really true. He lets them open the offense up. 
He plays kind of like a driving kick, driving kick, driving kick offense. Um, but you got to have guys who can drive uh, effectively, finish effectively, and kick effectively. And they don't really have those guys. Um, even when Derrick Rose is healthy, and I'm going to get Derrick Rose a little bit uh, more in a little while. But Derrick Rose, great at attacking a rim. But because he was so great at it and because he was so great at finishing, whether it be his floater or getting all the way to the front of the rim, he didn't really need to kick out that often. So he wasn't a great kickout guy uh, because he would attack so quickly and so effectively that he could just score it at the at the basket. That's why he was such a huge part of what the Knicks did that year, two years ago when they made the playoffs. Uh, quickly is not a guy that blows by his defenders. Uh, he has, you know, it was kind of a an awkward thing. He has good speed. He has decent skills, but he doesn't seem to explode past defenders and doesn't seem to explode to the rim, to the front of the rim. He has a nice little floater game, but guys who have that kind of floater game, they don't really have a, a reason or cause to kick the ball out. You just get into your floater. And, and that's what he's done a little bit too much. He gets to that floater and he doesn't really attack the front of the rim because he doesn't attack the front of the rim. Defenses aren't rotating. They're not they're not, they don't have a reason to come off their man on the perimeter. Um, he, just, he just doesn't get downhill quick enough. He doesn't put enough pressure on the rim um, to, to affect uh, open shooters on the perimeter. Uh, and, you know, obviously, he's done it a little bit more towards the end of the season. He didn't have a good year last year. But some of that, to me, is not his fault. They brought in Kemba Walker. I don't know why you keep bringing in... I shouldn't say keep, but I don't understand bringing in uh, players to block players that you've been developing. I never agree with that, and I see it a lot around uh, the NBA. You you have young players who are developing, so but you didn't go get a veteran who's going to block them um, from taking that next step. Uh, I wasn't completely down on the Kemba move when they made it, so I'm not going to do the whole revisionist history thing, but I just don't understand the logic behind developing players, drafting players, and then signing players to block them. And that's what they did with Fournier. They drafted Grimes, and then they signed Fournier. And it's, again, it's a block. If you think Grimes, if you have confidence that Grimes is going to be a good player out of the draft, and don't give a guy three years guaranteed to play in front of him. You know, as much as I like Burks, uh, Burke, Alec Burke, he, he didn't, he, you know, they signed him, brought him back. And I'm not, I wasn't angry at the move, you know, looking at it. Burke, he did a lot of good things uh, for, for the Knicks, uh, two-way player. He's a value around the league. But you bring him back and a one-year guaranteed, I believe, or two years guaranteed. And, and he's going to block all of the young players that you're bringing in. And I just don't get it. Same thing with Nerlens Noel. Again, very good defensive player for the Knicks that year in the playoffs. But you bring in Jericho Sims. You have Mitchell Robinson. His contract is up. You, where are you going to play him? You know, are you either developing your guys or you're not? And I think the Knicks have kind of gotten stuck in that, that cycle where they're not sure uh, if they're developing their guys or if they're trying to, you know, be a middle-of-the-road competitive team. And I think uh, last offseason – they had a little bit of a crisis on that front. And that's, I think when you don't have synergy in your organization as to what you're trying to do, I think that's how you have seasons like that. 
You know, they don't have any superstars on their team that are going to carry them through a season like that. Now, you went into a season, you, you as a franchise, you've been bringing in young players, good young players, solid young players through the draft. And, and then you sign, you know, middle of the road uh, NBA veterans to block them from developing. And it's just, I think it's just a, a bad dynamic to have on any NBA team. Um, and I think now that Fournier, you know, Burke is gone, Noel is gone, Noel is gone. Um, now you have Fournier still on the team. He does have a discernible skill, one that is valuable around the league, frankly, just maybe not at the money that he's at and valuable for this team. But you have to understand that you, you do have young players who need to play. And that's Grimes, that's Quickly, who's going to be playing both guard positions, uh, especially now that Rose is back. The uh, ball's going to be in Rose's hand a lot. And Rose is not the best off-the-ball player. He's not terrible. He, he shoots the ball very decently from the perimeter at this point. But he's much more effective than Quickly is on the ball. So, But Quickly is not his best self when he's off the ball. Again, tricky dynamic. And then you have Grimes, who's going to end up playing a lot of small forward because of the quickly Derrick Rose dynamic, uh, not to mention the starters being Fournier and or R.J. Barrett, uh, depending on what they do with the small forward position. Uh, so Grimes is going to end up playing a lot of three, which means that what what is Cam Reddish going to be for this team? And that was another little controversy that came out of you know the first couple of days of training camp if cam redder saying that he never asked for a trade cam redder saying that he doesn't know what his role in the team is cam redder saying that he doesn't know what he needs to do to crack the rotation um at this point he should know at this point and you know what to be fair to be fair i just i don't know if you can ever really tell somebody this is what you need to do to crack the rotation because that is advice in a vacuum because there are other players fighting for that spot. So what are you telling the other players? You know, you're just telling everybody you got to work hard. You know, you got to focus. You got to lock down defensively. I mean, you're telling everybody the same thing. So, you know, on, on another, from another angle, I can see there not being, you know, clear and concise instructions for Cam Reddish to crack the rotation. Um, you know, juxtaposed with the fact that there are other players who are also trying to either keep their spot in the rotation or crack it. You know, basically their advice is for everyone. Um, play defense and be solid and efficient on offense. Um, but, you know, to focus back on Fournier, I don't see it as a problem that he's starting. I think all of the young players, I shouldn't say all, but the young players that are most affected by that, and that would be Quentin Grimes and Quickly, I think they're guaranteed to play. So it's not, I don't know why everyone's getting all bent out of shape about it. I think they're guaranteed to play, you know. So you, it doesn't really matter who starts. And, and if you watched the Knicks last year, you know that Fournier started the games but didn't finish them a lot. Didn't even play the fourth quarter a lot. So, and when Grimes was healthy, he, he was getting plenty of minutes. So I, I think that's one of those stories that, you know, I think uh, Nick fans get hung up on clickbait and controversies that, very much suckers for headlines. Uh, it doesn't mean much to me that Fournier is starting. It doesn't mean anything to me. Um, Grimes is going to play. As long as he plays well, he's going to play. If Fournier doesn't play well, he's not 
going to play. You know, so it doesn't really matter. Thibodeau has been fairly consistent with that, except when it came to Ovi Toppin and Julius Randle. So that's yet another little story that came out of training camp is Thibodeau saying that he didn't really see Julius and Ovi being effective playing together. And of all the things that we heard coming out of training camp, I think the Knicks fans are going to be a little troubled by that news. Because if if Toppin and Randall are not playing together, then Toppin is not getting the minutes. Unless you put in Toppin that small forward, which means that somebody else is not getting the minutes. This to me, that that would be the most troubling uh news that came out of camp for the Knicks. Because Obi Toppin has to play. He played well at the end of the year when Randall started to sit. And and uh, Tibbs started to have a little bit more confidence in him. You started to see him blossom as a player. A guy who started hitting outside shots. A guy who started attacking uh, the defenses. Attacking hard closeouts. Cutting. Hustling. Um, I think his de- he, has, he has good defensive uh, abilities. But poor de- defensive discipline. And... You know, that, that can be something that's hard to develop. Um, he can be too straight up and down sometimes. But I, I think I think he can play a much better defense. Uh, I think he has played much better defense than most people say, by the way. But it doesn't mean it's good. Uh, he, de- he definitely needs to know where to be on defense. He definitely needs to be... He's borderline a guy that offenses, offenses have attacked on the, on, on the defensive end. He can't be that guy. He can't be that guy. Um, but unfortunately, I don't see a pathway for him playing 25 minutes a game as long as Randall's here if they're not going to play together. And, and, and I don't even know if they should. With Mitchell Robinson, with Hartenstein, I, I don't... Jericho Sims actually played well towards the end of the year, too, and, uh, but he, he presents issues on offense. But that's a guy who defensively was really a game changer once he started to get, you know, the hang of this whole NBA thing. He, this was a guy who could double team, who can, can do a hard hedge on, at three-point line, 30 feet from the basket, and then get back to a man before the passes, the ball being moved around, can find an open guy. There's not a lot of guys who would, can do that that effectively. And he was also a guy who can switch out on perimeter guys and and, and hold his own. And Hartenstein is a very decent defensive player himself, and he provides floor spacing at the center position, something the Knicks have not had and would not have unless they played Randall and Toppin together. Um, so I don't see uh, an avenue you know, for – a lane, I should say, for OB to play. And I, I would be very concerned with that because if OB falls back into kind of, I mean, he's always played, he always plays with effort and desire, but if he falls back into that whole, you know, I'm, you know, if I make a mistake, I'm going to get pulled out of the game, so I'm not going to play with confidence. I'm not going to shoot with confidence. I'm not going to play instinctively because I'm thinking, thinking, thinking because Tibbs has um, a short leash on me. If he's always playing like that, then, you know, my, it's just not – it's going to be a terrible thing. We've seen the potential from him as a player, 
and you can't rob him of his potential and his value as a player, even if you don't want to keep him here or you can't keep him here, build his value up by letting him play. Don't just give him away, which is which was what's going to happen in that Donovan Mitchell trade. He was going to get given away because they had to match contracts and they had to include a lot of the young, talented players the Knicks have. And again, players that you know people underrate talent-wise, I think. Not to say they're superstars, but they're, they're not the bums that people tend to think they are. They were all going to have to get grouped together to make that Donovan Mitchell trade work. So you didn't make that deal. Well, now you have the guys here on the team. Now you got to play them. They got to show the world what they can do. And to have, to not even be playing it deep, and I'm not going to say he's not considering it. He said he would see it in practice, but... For that not to even be the plan, you know, I don't know. I don't I don't know what's going to happen. I really don't. And, and to me, that's cause for concern. You don't want Obi to get lost in the rotation. And it feels like that Obi and Cam are the ones who are going to get lost in these rotations. The Knicks didn't bring in Hardenstein not to not play him. So, you know, I don't, I don't even see what the plan was there. Um... Unless you feel like you're going to play Randall 20 minutes a game, 2025, you're going to play Obi 2025. And uh, that's what we're doing. Good luck. We've all we've all we've already seen Randall flip out. We've already seen it. We know what that looks like. Start trying to play him 20, 25 minutes a game, and oh, and he's splitting time with Obi every night. And see what that looks like. That's going to be tough. That's going to be tough. Um, Part of me thinks. That the Knicks don't have a plan here. And. They want Randall. To play well. So that they can move him. I think that at the end of the day. I think that's what. I think that's what they're trying to do. And. The front office is really kind of married to Julius Randle in a lot of ways, but I don't think they're opposed to trading him. But I think the front office is, you know, those relationships are there. Leon Rose and Randle were close before he took the job. Um, they're not going to disrespect him. I don't think they just want to give him away. But I I do think they're, they're if they want Obi to play, I think they, they have to move him. Uh, on the flip side... If Randall plays well and he starts playing closer to that 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 twenty twenty one form, why would you trade him? Why would you trade him? He's a, he's a fairly good player, a unique player, and and if he can give you, you know, the player that he was a couple of years ago, why would you want to trade him? You just have to find other ways to get Obi on the floor. You know, and to me, I think the small forward position is also an option for him. And I understand his defensive liabilities, but I don't think they're any more um, an issue at small forward than they are at power forward, to be honest with you. I'm not going to get too deep into that right now. But there are plenty of players who play the small forward position, too. So, you know, uh, the, the Knicks, I think, to start this season are going to play the best combination because I think it's important that the Knicks win games to start the year. Uh, but I, I think in the back of their mind, they're building value for certain guys. Uh, I don't think Grimes is going anywhere. 
Um, I think he's safe, but I think they're building value in guys. Um, and that can be Derrick Rose, who already has some value around the league. I think that they may be looking to move him to open up spots, and I think they're looking to move Cam to open up spots. And if quickly, if quickly plays out of his mind, they're not moving him. Yeah, the, the Kentucky connection with the Knicks front office is too, too deep. Um, they're not going to move him if he's playing well, I don't think. Not just for anybody, not in a lateral move. I think if he's playing well, I think they're just going to be all in on him. I think the same for Grimes. But I think Fournier, if he plays well, um, he's going to get moved. I think there's a good chance, you know, whether I think it's a good idea or not. And I'm on the fence about it. I think if Randall plays well, I think a lot of people are going to change their tune about trading him. That's, that's kind of the perspective I'm speaking from. Um, but if Randall plays well, I think he's going to be on the move. But the problem is that's going to upset the apple cart a ton. You can move Fournier and the roster not be topsy-turvy. Uh, you can move Cam and the roster not be topsy-turvy. You move Randall, it's a whole different team immediately. You know, so um, I think Mitchell could potentially be a guy that gets moved. We're seeing a lot of talk about the Phoenix Suns and the Knicks making a trade. I saw a rumor where Randall would be moved for Sarek and, and Crowder um, and a first-round draft pick. Uh, I saw that rumor. I'm not saying I'm not saying it's, it's set in stone. I'm saying I saw that rumor. If you get a first-round draft pick for Julius Randall, I mean, for, for guys, you know, whose contracts aren't too nuts, um, I, I guess you do it. But, you know, that's, that, you know, bringing in those players doesn't necessarily make the team much better. Uh, and the Phoenix Suns' first-round draft pick is going to be at middle, late teens at best, probably middle or middle of the first round. Um, I, do you need that? You know, you're bringing in guys who play similar positions, so you're – you're bringing in guys who are likely going to be playing behind Obi Toppin. <laughs> so you don't trade Randall and then let Crowder play all the minutes or Sarek play all the minutes. Um, and you're not really opening up a position at the center position with that trade where Sarek would play and he plays a lot of center and power forward. So it doesn't really help the roster. So you're basically making that move just to get rid of Randall for a first-round draft pick, and that's going to be middle of first round, which is fine. I just don't. I don't. I hope that if that's the only deal and you're desperate to make it, then okay. But I don't necessarily think that makes the team better. I think that just makes the team that just opens up a spot for Obi Toppin. Doesn't really make them better. You know, you're just getting rid of Randall at that point, and. Um, if he starts playing well, well enough where the Suns would be okay giving up that first-round draft pick, I just don't know if you just want to get rid of him. But, you know, he has a, a good amount of years left on his contract, that big money. You know, maybe maybe it's worth it to you to get that pick and just get him off the roster. I just I just don't – I think we become a weaker team. I don't think getting rid of Randall is addition by subtraction. I think last year was the way he played was so bad. But I don't think it's addition by subtraction to get rid of Randall. I think we become a weaker team immediately um, without Randall on the team. Uh, 
And I'm assuming Randall's going to have a good year this year. Uh, I'm assuming he's going to come back and and try to atone for last year. I'm hoping he changes his game a little bit. Uh, but yeah, I really don't. I, I don't know about that deal. You know, I look at it a little bit more closely. I don't. I know there's not a huge market for Randall, but there will be if he plays well. And I think the Knicks are counting on that. I think they're counting on Fournier playing well. I think they're counting on. I think they're counting on Randall playing well and boosting their value. Because as the roster currently stands, the two players that they want to play that don't have a spot to me are OB and Cam, Cam Reddish. Um, and if you're not going to play Cam Reddish and trade a first round draft pick for him, then you, you really, you really threw up all over yourself with that. And he is a talented player. He's not, listen, he's not all world. He's not baby Jesus. I'd love to see what he's worked on this off season and, and see him get an actual chance to, to show what he can do with this team before you just give him away. Um, but again, you know, it's the, the roster is, is locked with a, too many players in the same positions. And I don't think Tom is going to play 10, 10 guys. So, um, you know, I'm curious what this team is going to look like when the season starts. Um, I never, you never root for injury, you know, but a sprained ankle here or there might, in the beginning of the season, might might help the Knicks out, frankly. <laughs> and I don't want to root for it. And I don't want to, to you know, be too lighthearted about, in, you know, an injury. Of course, I'm just talking about something that's minor. But the Knicks do need to showcase a couple players, get a couple players on the floor in order to be a better team long term. They, they're not going to be a better team long term if Cam Reddish is sitting on the bench and he doesn't get to play. And then they have, just, they have to give him away. They're not going to be a better team long term if Obi Toppin doesn't get to play. Uh, if Randall dominates all the minutes, you know. So um, it's it's an interesting season for the Knicks. And I talked about this before. The Knicks can have a a good year and not make the playoffs because the Eastern Conference is, is that stacked. So as an organization, you can't expect this from the fans and the media. As an organization, you have to be able to, to see the forest for the trees and, and see that you you maximized your roster. And your roster needs to improve. And you knew that going in. So to not make the playoffs is not shouldn't be the end of the world to you. Because it's just too difficult to make the playoffs right now in the Eastern Conference. And you knew coming in that you had to make improvements to the roster to be on par with a lot of the teams in the conference. So to to see everything that you knew coming into the season play out exactly the way it was it was likely to, and then panic and start making panic moves as a result, that's just poor. And and Knicks historically have been that team. But that's just poor. That's just poor planning. That's poor leadership. Um, I'd hate to see that for for that organization. You know, they have to know that their ceiling is relatively low, not just because of their own team, but because of the teams around them. And they have to have that kind of mindset. Or have we developed our players? Have we maximized our talent and roster? 
and you know what players do we keep and build around and what players do we move you know as much as people want you to win you can't can't do it without superstars in this league and they don't have any you know they don't have it i think rj barrett's ceiling is still not superstar you know and randall's ceiling potentially but we haven't seen it yet it's not brunson's ceiling you know, Derrick Rose is not going to be super, he can be super effective, but he's not going to be a superstar guy. So there's, the superstar is not on his roster. And they know that. And that's what the Donovan Mitchell trade was going to be. But frankly, I just don't think they would have been appreciably better with Donovan Mitchell. Uh, the argument for Donovan Mitchell from people who understand that, who still want them to make the deal was, oh, you'll attract more people once he gets here. With what? You know, the cap space would be locked up. And... And they um, they wouldn't have any assets to trade for anybody, you know. And then you know you say, oh, you know, NBA players they make a way, they figure it out, they make a way. Well, you know, Donovan was desperate to come to New York, and he couldn't make a way. You know, I think I think a lot of that make a way from players is going to start fading away because it's Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving nonsense with the Nets. I think a lot of teams are going to start doing what's best for them and not doing what's best for the player as a result of that. But we'll get into that next time. Let me sign off. Once again, Sports Ethos, New York Knicks podcast. Coming at you next time.